Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Like the 2020 elections, which saw then-President Trump's coalition prove unexpectedly resilient amid a horrible national political environment dominated by COVID, despite his loss to Joe Biden, the 2022 elections did not go as expected, but this time the other way, with Biden's Democrats defying the apparent fundamentals. While others will discuss candidates' issues and swings, I'm joined by Capital Research Center President Scott Walter to discuss some of the institutional structures that might have contributed to the midterm results. Uh, Scott, welcome back. Great to be with you, Mike. So we've had you on to discuss the the Zuck Bucks in the 2020 election. Uh, Did they play a big role in 2022? Well, there's good news and bad news on that score. The good news is that 24 states have passed laws that restrict Zuck Bucks, which were private, theoretically charitable money going to actual government election offices with strings attached trying to affect the um, trying to affect the uh, the way the elections were carried out so 24 states pretty much shut that down um, I like to think that we and others who attacked it encouraged Zuckerberg to do what he did namely say I'm not going to do that again so as far as private money going straight into government election offices there's not there was not uh, much of that as far as we are aware of, and we looked pretty closely. But something that the left has, that was a that was a new thing in 2020 from the left. The old thing that's been going on for decades is uh, the left using private foundation money and other donors' money to fund and legally charitable groups to execute voter registration and yeah, get out vote. Which is, which is awkward because charitable groups, especially private foundations, are prohibited from intervening in elections. Am I correct? Absolutely right. In fact, there was a big fight in the 60s. The Ford Foundation got in a lot of trouble because they put a few hundred thousand dollars into a Cleveland mayor's race and uh, and succeeded. And Congress, though it was under Democratic control at the time, was outraged and uh, changed tax law to try to shut that sort of thing down. So why is it allowed? What, like, how, how, do they, how do they get around the, the prohibition? How, why is it, you know, there, there have been periods of Republican control of government since the 60s, Well, this is a classic example of how uh, the conservative and Republican folks are usually not very well informed about what their enemies are doing. Because as I say, this has been going on for at least 20 years um, in a serious way, and uh, our side doesn't even know it. Uh, But the, but there, I mean, one of the best places to learn about it is a book that was published in 2012 and was looking backwards. Um, that's the, the book, The Victory Lab, by a, a liberal reporter, but very well done book explaining all this. And the groups that he's talked about there and was very explicit about how they knew perfectly well they were helping Democrats gin up votes outside the campaign finance laws. Those are, that's his language. 
the donors knew they were doing this and the, and the activist groups knew they were doing it. And the one that he especially focuses on is a group that's had a name change, but now is called Voter Participation Center. Uh, and uh, it continues to be a big major player in exactly uh, this kind of work, in, including in the 2020 election. It was, you know, Time Magazine praised it for its help with the uh, vote by mail efforts. And then in 2021, Capital Research Center reported on the way it was a p- serious player in the Virginia state elections that saw Youngkin uh, win the governorship. Um, and then again in 2022, it continues to be uh, a major player. Is there any indication that this sort of ostensible nonpartisan civic engagement playbook might not be, you know, it, it, it has its success, it has had success and, you know, they do it for a reason, but that it may not work forever? Well, it, you know, first of all, the, the real answer to that, I hope, is that if one or both houses of, uh, of Congress switch party control, and I should say it's after three o'clock the day after the election, and we can't be certain of that, which shows we have election law problems, but um, there is a serious chance that folks in Washington might start asking embarrassing questions of the IRS commissioner, who's really the one who should be dealing with this, or there might be state attorneys general uh, who start digging into this in their own states uh, because they too can can regulate charities that are in their states. But uh, there was one interesting thing in this year's election uh, about it in the in the reporting. This is the New York Times. Uh, of always doing its best to help the Democratic Party. And so they ran a a lengthy story uh, not too many weeks ago, ringing the alarm bell that, oh my God, all these C3 groups, like the New Georgia Project, for instance, which if you're Mm -hmm. following this closely, you know is a a likely bad actor, certainly accused bad actor uh, by Georgia authorities. Um, It's one of Stacey Abrams' uh, groups that she concocted a while back. Uh, the New York Times had the head of it shrieking and a few other people like her shrieking that, oh my God, Pierre Omidyar, George Soros, the foundations that have been giving us all this money to do registration and get out the vote work are not ponying up as much this cycle. Now, nobody knows why that's the case. It may be that they've that the big money people thought, well, this I'm not going to get great return on investment. This is going to be a disaster of a midterm. Um, but conceivably, that means the left is less excited about it. But I have to say, given how, in fact, this election was a much more mixed bag than anybody on either side thought, um, I think it's safe to say the groups are not going away. Although I should also add that, that there were some news stories just a few days ago that the New Georgia project was collapsing amid infighting. And so um, if, if we're lucky, the the uh, fallout from that kind of fighting will be that we will get to see more vividly how less than ethically um, these groups are operating, and that may uh, help to burn them. Uh, but ha- having said that, we're a long way from from 
that happening yet. Right, right. Uh, so now moving on to one other thing. Um, one of the undercurrents of the election seems to have been the fallout from the Dobbs decision, the the Supreme Court case that overturned the national right to abortion in Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, there were some ballot measures, uh, you know, a couple attempts at a pro-life ballot measure, three very major uh, ballot measures to codify abortion in at least some cases all the way through nine months of pregnancy. Uh, you know, is this a case? And then the, the pro-abortion side won all of them. Uh, this combined with Kansas earlier in the year was the pro-life move is pro-life movement as an institution just not ready for what happened this year? Uh, well, first I'll, I'll make my own views uh, public here. I am a vigorous Catholic pro-lifer, uh, but at the same time, uh, I'm also uh, somebody who's, you know, live long enough. It's my, what, 59th birthday today, something like that. So uh, I will say that on the one hand, uh, it, the the pro-life movement can be proud of the uh, progress that it has made in recent decades uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, uh, but, and certainly they've made progress at the Supreme Court because uh, pro-lifers have helped to, to uh, create a Supreme Court majority that no longer believes it should be writing the abortion laws for all 50 states the way it did in Roe and then Casey. So, so they've been they've notched some big victories, but again, the the conservative side in in all sorts of areas, including abortion, we just often are not as savvy at the left at planning out, strategizing, figuring out how to to win particular political battles. So um, when the Dobbs decision came down, the left swung into action and, uh, and electrified its base on that issue. Um, I was just looking at the election polls. You know, there's a, a, abortion was a significant issue for a fair number of people. Now, there would, some of those were pro-life and some were Yeah, but the, majority, but the, majority, the majority were, were coming out in support of abortion rights. The, the, the left did a great job of energizing its people the second the Dobbs decision leaked, uh, much less came down. Whereas our, you know, our, the, the pro-life side was not uh, nearly so prepared. And the, the other thing that's mixed up in this too, of course, is the, the media bias, which is largely a function of, of the way the media spreads ignorance, right? Hardly, you know, few Americans understood that um, Roe v. Wade and its companion case of the same day, Doe v. Bolton, essentially made legal abortion all the way up to birth. Um, folks didn't understand that. They also didn't understand that the Dobbs decision didn't necessarily change the, the laws where you are about abortion at all. Um, all Dobbs said was the states are going to get to decide. Um, and P again, people didn't understand that. Yeah, so. I mean, was, right, well, and then among the people who seem not to have understood that, at least in some fundamental ways, the pro-life movement institutions that, I mean, was this just a case of we never thought it was going to happen? And then through a weird confluence of circumstances, you know, it's late 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, replaced by Amy Coney Barrett. 
all of a sudden you have, you know, four very solid originalist justices who are likely to look unfavorably on the on the original Rowan Casey decisions. And then you have uh, two, two other Republican justices, Kavanaugh and Roberts, who are not doctrinaire abortion rights progressives. And that, you know, when it came to the Supreme Court, having been stung in Casey, that, you know, the pro-life movement wasn't prepared for the day after. When it turns out, when it turns out that Kavanaugh stayed on side. Well, uh, again, I think you're right that our side is not as good. Now, keep in mind, there were some states that had passed uh, that already had laws to go into effect if Roe were dropped. But the th- and, and those laws were typically very restrictive because um, until this election, another thing the media hid is that there weren't, while there were not very many people voting on abortion, while Roe was controlling the country, um, the, the ones who... At, Back then, the people who really cared were strongly pro-life. So therefore, you you had some of those strict laws get passed. But the, the trick is you've got to, there's no substitute for being politically savvy, very politically savvy. And when Roe disappears, then the politics change significantly yeah. in multiple different ways. And and again, our side is is you know, my, not- my, 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 meta, my metaphor, if you'll, if you'll pardon it, is you're all of a sudden it's live, you're, you're doing an exercise with live ammunition. You know, not- that's a, that's an excellent, you know, Americans, because the, 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 the other thing to say here, because it fits with the whole election, you know, I don't have the answers on every, on why everything happened yesterday. But one thing that I can absolutely be clear on is obviously America is very messy. You know, the, the American public's mind is not clear and uh, at all, and there and there's not a clear majority uh, in a simple sense on these things. And abortion is one, just one big part of that general uncertainty. Americans, basically, Americans don't like most abortions that happen, but they also don't. You know, the majority are squeamish about anything that's too restrictive. Well, nobody, now, no, very, very few other than professional progressive activists are going to go along with Shout Your Abortion, that campaign from a few years ago. But yes. also, you know, they are, again, I think the fear is that, you know, they that American women have lived under this regime where it's always been available to them for what, 40 years, 40 some odd years back since Roe. And now it's gone and that, you know, they can at least, you know, at least the fear is there to be played on that it's, you know, you're going to go back to, to the fifties. Even if that's, that's, even if that's, even if that's not an actual reality. That's true. Although we should, we should also get into a separate culture war angle here, which is, again, this, this point about how political skills, like, right. I don't love politicians. I don't want to be a politician. Um, and and almost everybody left and right agrees with that. But po- there are such things as political skills, and they really matter. And this election did show that too, because you had some people who were cultural warriors on abortion and also on the the, the gender issues and whatnot, who didn't get 
hurt by it. And Ron DeSantis, who, you know, love him or hate him, Ron DeSantis clearly has a lot of political skill. And he did astoundingly well on being a conservative culture warrior without getting burned. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said, especially if you're an incumbent governor for competence. Yeah, it, it, it matters. And but I mean, and by the way, people forget you, 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 you can refresh my memory, but there were governors, he's not the only governor who supported s- pretty severe restrictions on abortion and didn't get burned from it. You do you want to remind us of those? Yeah, uh, Mike DeWine in Ohio, Brian Kemp in Georgia, uh, Kim Reynolds, I think, in Iowa, uh, Greg Abbott in Texas. Yeah, so it's not like abortion is the third rail of politics, um, but it does matter that it be handled with serious skill. And certainly the the pro-lifers may have to recognize that you start with starting with a half a loaf is not necessarily uh, a bad thing. It's it's the old the old Thatcher adage. You got to win the argument before you win the vote. Exactly. And and it's tricky. Uh, it's very tricky. Um, and uh, but yes, political skill uh, really matters, and that ex- that does explain big chunks of the the very mixed messages the public seemed to send yesterday. Before we let you go, uh, are there any other items uh, that you'd like to note? Well, I've got a quick thing I want to point out, uh, just because it's so classic. It it fits with our research on groups. Um, and but it also fits with the perennial problem of the hideous bias in the media. ABC News explicitly said for our election coverage, for everything related to election integrity and legal issues, we are partnering with the Brennan Center, a nonpartisan independent organization. And of course, if people who listen to this podcast know. Go it's, to Influence it's Watch. Non, it's nonpartisan in the same way that the nonpartisan civic engagement we were discussing earlier is nonpartisan. Yes. It's as nonpartisan as its leader, who was a speechwriter for Bill Clinton. So if you think Bill Clinton's speechwriters are nonpartisan, then I have a network news show for you. All right. Well, thanks again uh, to Capital Research Center President Scott Walter for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. 